passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Phil Chertok, and this is our post-wrestling UFC 252 post-show. Hello, Phil. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I've got, uh, I've got a lot of energy. I'm all set to go. I could chat with you for hours. I, 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 bet, I bet you could. I mean, I'm actually really excited to know how you're doing, John, because I cannot think of a single fight that you've ever been more excited for. Um, this one was up there. I was, I was really stoked for this fight. Uh, from the time it was announced, this was definitely the fight I was most looking forward to. Um, I guess as you saw in the week leading up to this, like I, I anticipated this being a really big fight. I don't know if during the week it ever hit that fever pitch of being a big, big fight. Did you think that it did? I mean, I think it was a big fight in the MMA community. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Daniel Cormier ha- has sort of been at the the top of like the MMA stars. And he, he does have a little bit of crossover appeal, but he's not really a, a big crossover star like some of the other guys like Maz Vidal or Diaz or Connor, of course. And, uh, so, uh, I mean, I think he even said the, the most he's ever drawn was something like 900,000 buys. And that was UFC 200, which had, you know, huge names on that card. So, um, it didn't surprise me that it never reached that really elite status event feel. Yeah. Well, maybe later we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about what we can anticipate, uh, pay-per-view wise for this card, but, uh, We'll get right into things. We will also be taking your phone calls. So if you're on the Discord channel, you'll be able to call in a little later on, share your thoughts on the card. And we're going to be kicking things off talking about the main event between Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier, a fight that uh, played played out much differently than the first two fights did. And, you know, just instead of going uh, round by round, Phil, uh, talking first primarily, I thought Stipe, uh, this guy... uh, this quarantine has certainly had not has not had any kind of effect on him because he showed up in the best shape of his life. Yeah, I mean, he was extremely lean. I mean, in, in some ways, I was a little bit concerned uh, because he was so lean and he came in uh, so much lighter than the first fight um, when he got knocked out. Um, but uh, it turned out that there, you know, it wasn't without rhyme or reason, and uh, he was clearly well prepared. So, I mean, the fight began and. Early on, it was – to me, I'll, I'll just go over this. So Steve Miocic gets the unanimous decision victory here. I thought that there were some very close rounds in all of this, but not to the point that I thought there was going to be a disputed winner by the end of it, unless maybe, Phil, you had a, a different scorecard by the end of this. I had uh, Stipe winning rounds two, three, and four. Uh, the big round was the second round where Cormier was – I had Cormier winning the first round. And then in the second, 
it really was up until that final flurry at the end of the round where Miocic just charged at him and was able to mount him against the fence and landed these huge strikes. It was the most uh, dominant sequence, I would say, of the entire 25 minutes. And then I would say the other significant factor occurred near the end of the third round where earlier in the, earlier in the fight, we had seen Cormier poke Stipe in the eye. And this was a big factor in previous fights and Stipe, of course, needing surgery for a torn retina. So that was a story going into this was the eye pokes. It ended up being, you know, a relatively minor eye poke by Miocic, but then a very major one by Stipe at the end of the third round where we saw the replay of this and it was fierce and Cormier's eye was a mess he was telling his corner between rounds he could not see and then he would repeat this after the fact that out of the left side he was just seeing black so that appeared to be what Cormier was contending with in rounds four and five and it seemed that Miocic was doing very well in the in the fourth and this was a fight that largely was playing itself out where we weren't seeing Cormier you know, like the second fight where he was teeing off on Stipe, but also expended a lot of energy. He was much more conservative with his striking. And we didn't see a whole lot of his wrestling in this, uh, in this entire fight. I did think that Cormier narrowly got the, the fifth round. So I had it 48, 47 for Stipe after five rounds. Uh, how did you score the fight, Phil? So, uh, I mean, I think what you said was, was, I agree with was that there were lots of close rounds here, um, but ultimately there is no real dispute. I actually gave Stipe all five rounds in this fight. Um, The the one, the fifth round is the one I actually think is the closest. Although I think, although many people were arguing that the first round, like yourself, uh, you gave it to him. I just didn't feel like the flurries at the end of a round, at the end of the round did, were, uh, the, I didn't feel they negated the kicks and the body work that Stipe did through most of the first round. And so the rounds were close, but I did give every single one to Stipe. It was, I was, I was very surprised by Cormier that, you know, he came out and, you know, part of part of the second fight was, you know, his striking was just so on point for those three rounds. And I could almost understand his his theory in that fight that here I've got to win over the guy. And yes, I could go to my wrestling, but I just I'm striking so well with him. And then it was just this avalanche of exhaustion at the end of the third round. This one, I mean, I'd be curious your thoughts about, you know, we saw one takedown attempt early on in the fight by Cormier. And outside of that, uh, this was a fight that was completely contested on the feet and against the fence. What was your thought on why Daniel did not rely more on his wrestling and make this, you know, take that away from Stipe? I think the biggest factor was Stipe. He's just a great wrestler himself. And he showed that through, uh, you know, largely through rounds. I mean, three, four and five. He, he controlled the wrestling as Cormier mentioned in the post fight interview, the double underhooks. Uh, once, once Stipe hurt Cormier in the second round, he then used sort of that, um, time that Cormier was recovering to wear on him, push him up against the cage. And he really controlled him all the time. Even when Cormier would get strong wrestling positions, uh, Stipe would always reverse it. And so I think it's just that Cormier didn't want to go through the expenditure of the energy of having a wrestling match the whole time. I mean, he was clearly conserving energy in the striking because he wasn't as busy. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and now that's not to say there wasn't any success in the wrestling because the setting up the wrestling, getting the underhook and then get, and then on the breaks, the way that he knocked out, uh, Stipe in the first fight was a huge part of this fight. He was landing that overhand right, uh, over and over again. Um, but, uh, as the commentators mentioned, the fact that Stipe was aware of it, even though maybe it landed with even more power because it wasn't the surprise of the first fight, he was able to withstand it every single time. Yeah. I mean, Daniel did very good in the, in those, those clinch positions and especially, you know, trying to get his arm around and just, you know, sneak in, uh, you know, those strikes inside the pocket. I thought a really great game plan, whether it was by, uh, intentionally or not, I, because everyone, I think, assumed, and this was even brought up in the press conference, Daniel calling it out that, of course, he's going to go to the body. He would be stupid not to. But I thought Stipe was very smart in that he didn't abandon that, but instead he hardly relied on shots to the body. And every now and then, boom, he would catch Daniel in the body just to remind him that, you know, that is a target for him, but never to the point that Daniel would be able to telegraph those shots coming in succession like we saw at the end of the second round. So I just thought it was a really smart game plan by Stipe, who came into this fight in fantastic shape and ended this fight, I think, you know, the undisputed champion and winner of this trilogy. And, you know, this will be a a fight that and this rivalry will really cement Miocic's uh, legacy. Uh, absolutely. At this point, uh, there can be no doubt. I mean, they've fought now for, I mean, 25, uh, you know, nearly an hour. And uh, Stipe's won the majority of that time and, and finished him in that time as well. Um, so, and, and I mean, the legacy of fighters that Stipe has competed against and defeated. I mean, we saw Junior Dos Santos on this card. They had some tremendous fights. And there's more to come with Stipe. I mean, he, he's still relatively young in, in the heavyweight landscape. He looks in tremendous shape. And uh, maybe this is an opportunity finally for him to get some uh, paydays because, you know, he's not the most outspoken uh, or charismatic champion. Um, so hopefully there's uh, some big fights on the horizon for him. Yes, uh, not the most outspoken individual who right after this Herculean accomplishment was asked by Joe Rogan how he's feeling. And he said, I want to go home. And that was his celebratory message. I want to, I don't blame him. I, when I go to a UFC event, the second it's over, I want to go home too. That's that, that is very valid. You know, I will, I will ask this now that this, uh, this feud is over with, with Daniel Cormier, obviously Francis Ngannou is, is the next, uh, logical contender for Stipe. This would be a rematch from their fight in January of 2018. But I mean, at this point, like Miocic has to be looking at the available options that, you know, this is a second go around with Francis Ngannou and obviously the man who will be lingering over the heavyweight division is John Jones. And that to me would represent kind of like the last big mountain for Miocic to climb in his career. Like, I don't know uh, beyond just, you know, personal satisfaction that you're looking for, like how much more is Stipe interested in, in terms of his, his fight career at this point, he's turning 38 this year, which is not too old for a heavyweight. But when you look at what he's accomplished and how much more uh, do you want in this sport before you walk away? I don't think we're that far away from that for Stipe. 
Uh, we might not be, um, but if you sort of judge his answer from the press conference earlier this week, he gave a very laissez-faire response that suggested that he's just like a you know coal miner going to work for another day, and it's just what he's going to do for the rest of his life or something. So, um, well, it's very dangerous you know, it, to be a coal miner. <laughs> Uh, but I, well, it's very dangerous to be a professional MMA fighter. Um, and, uh, I, I just think that it, the, that mentality of, you know, just putting your, you know, being a grinder worker that, you know, you know, makes him a firefighter and heavyweight champion. Um, as long as he, he, he sort of finds either pleasure or, or just motivation or purpose, maybe purpose is the right word. If he can find the purpose, then he can keep going. Um, and he doesn't even seem to be concerned with the opponent's names, right? He's so just, like I said, laissez-faire about the whole thing. Like it really doesn't seem to matter who you put in front of him. Uh, for Daniel Cormier, um, you know, he was asked after the fight immediately, like, is this 100% the end? He seems to indicate, uh, you know, even in the moment after this loss, he was very down about this loss and the circumstances of losing this fight and with his eye injury. But uh, I, I do believe this is it for Daniel Cormier. Do you see any uh, possibility that this is not the final fight for Daniel Cormier? I mean, I do see some possibility. I, I think... Um, in the immediate short term, there's there's no real clear option for him. As he laid out in the post-fight interview, he said, I only want to fight for titles. And a heavyweight title matchup, it doesn't seem likely. And, you know, I don't think anybody's really clamoring for him at light heavyweight either, especially with John Jones ruling there. Um, but, you know, a couple years away, the landscape changes. Who knows? Some situation materializes where Uncle Dana can give him a call with enough money. It's not inconceivable that something could happen, right? Like, but if I had to say in all likelihood, I would say it's his last fight. Uh, so that was the, that was the main event. It was, uh, in terms of, uh, your anticipation did this fight uh live up to your expectations phil it did it was a tremendous fight i mean i don't want to give the fact that uh it was a, a five round shutout on my scorecard to give the idea that it was a blowout that's just sort of the nature of mma scoring um i the the, the thing that marred it was the eye poke unfortunately it did really sort of um you know, it, it, it hurt the chances of Cormier, who, um, you know, he, he was the second round. He was on his way to winning until that last flurry right at the end of it. And then so then, you know, so then he's two. even if you give him the first, he's down the second. He's down the third after the eye poke. He's got to come back in the fourth just to battle back to get in it. So, you know, he kind of loses three rounds in the in a row right there. I was actually kind of. Uh, disappointed in the corner who, I mean, their advice in the end of it was really just, we just need you to win this round. I, I thought it was pretty clear he needed a finish. I mean, I guess not because one of the judges did have it, uh, even going into that last round, but I, I thought he needed to work harder for a finish in that last round. The worst way that this could have ended, and I was immediately thinking it was that after that third round with the, with the eye poke, I mean, Cormier, it's very audible with him telling his corner, I can't see. 
And given that we are in, I mean, it was constantly brought up how you can hear everything that is going on in this apex that, you know, if the referee hears that or the doctor at ringside hears that, that fight's over. That fight is over after that third round. If they hear that, that is the universal sign that a fight is over when a fighter says they cannot see. And I just think people would have been livid had the fight ended that way. I'm pretty sure Bob Bennett had laser beams on the on the doctor to make sure that no matter what this heavyweight fight was going to continue. Uh, we move on down the card to Sean O'Malley taking on Marlon Vera. And as much as this card was built around the main event, watching tonight's broadcast, Phil, it was very clear that the priority was Sean O'Malley. They put together some of the biggest promotional material like these videos, they were comparing this guy to like all of these like major athletes. They had this video up of like Stephen A. Smith comparing him to Khabib and to Ronda Rousey. I mean, it was, you know, we've got this big audience and Cormier is on the way out, but Sean O'Malley is on the way up. And it was, and I don't fault the UFC. Like they went, they put all their chips on Sean O'Malley tonight as the breakout star and positioning him as such going into this fight with Marlon Vera. Yeah, and rightfully so. He was drawing a lot of attention. Like, if you listen to the interview or whatever the promotional piece, I don't, I don't actually listen to too many MMA interviews, so I didn't really like. I enjoy his post-fight antics, but I don't see too much of the other stuff. But watching the promotional material, him saying he wants to be an A-list celebrity. Okay. Well, he's well on his way. Win or lose, I mean, you got winning is more is going to help you. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that the UFC was pushing him. You know, he was he was drawing attention as a star should. Um, now the key is, of course, you got to win fights, and uh, didn't work out that way for him. Uh, had he won, of course, though, that would have set up a really big fight for him next, almost certainly a main event. Yeah, and it, it turned into a weird fight. So. Uh, Sean O'Malley, he's like changing his stance and starts kicking at the body of Vera and Vera comes back with a high kick. And then all of a sudden O'Malley rolls his ankle and they would show the replay of this. And it just uh, looked incredibly bad. And O'Malley is immediately favoring his right leg. And you can see like he is just trying to deal with it, but it's a big problem. Vera spots it and he's targeting the leg. And O'Malley just starts throwing and it just seemed like he was throwing with the intent of, I just want to land something and get out of here. And he goes down to his back and Vera gets on top and blasts him with an elbow, follows up with strikes and Herb Dean steps in to stop it at 440 of the first round. Marlon Vera, a plus 210 underdog, uh, comes through here with the victory, uh, defeating Sean O'Malley. And it, it kind of reminded me, Phil, of... That fight years and years ago when Tyron Woodley beat Carlos Condit and everyone was so focused on the, the the knee injury that Carlos Condit sustained. But I mean, it did happen within the course of the fight. And I didn't look at this as some I mean, it was unfortunate he suffered this injury, but this was a legitimate win for Marlon Barra. And at the same time, I think the, the people that are going to be uh, just throwing Sean O'Malley uh, to the sides, I think should really cool it because I don't think this is the kind of performance where you uh, write someone off either. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, so going into this fight, I was not sold on that line um, as I w commented and, you know, shamed some 
foolish betters in the Discord channel. But uh, um, I didn't think it was uh, wrong to think that O'Malley could win this fight. He showed some tremendous uh, potential. His his footwork, his movements, his kicks, his feints in particular are, are excellent. And he opened this fight well. Um, um, and he didn't just lose because of the injury. I mean, already during the course of the fight before the injury, you could tell that his game plan wasn't going to work exactly right. Uh, th- there were adjustments made. And, you know, he started out very aggressive and he's had to sort of start to move away. And so I think that it, it uh, does a disservice to Vera that we're, uh, that the injury is such a focus because, you know, all of the star power surrounding uh, O'Malley. Um, but I think he'll be back um, as long as, you know, the injury is, uh, you know, w- we need to find out what was going on there because it looked pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the the question mark of how serious of an injury it was. But this was this was a very good win for Marlon Vera. And I don't think that this uh, extinguishes the flame of O'Malley. It is his first pro loss. It's a setback. But um, I really had no issue at all with the treatment of Sean O'Malley. This is this is what you do when you detect a star. You try to grow him. And yes, this is MMA where ultimately you promote these fighters, but they have to go out there and perform. And sometimes they're going to lose. And a loss is not life and death in this sport either. So I think that there's st- certainly lots of upside with Sean O'Malley. And with Marlon Vera, he gets the biggest win of his career, which uh, up until this point, I mean, he had won five in a row and no one had taken too much uh, focus on Marlon Vera. And then he came off this uh, close decision loss in his uh, last outing against Song Yadong. So uh, I don't I don't view this as some uh, devastating strike to the UFC either. And yeah, I guess we'll just now wait to see Sean O'Malley's status after this injury. And and look, if let's hope that the injury is minor and he can recover. It might be a blessing in disguise because, you know, people were, were calling for, you know, title shots and he hasn't fought a ranked opponent yet. So, uh, you know, it, it's um, as long as, you know, the injury is not too bad, he can definitely get back in there and uh, get really close to another main event spot uh, quick or his first main event spot. Yeah, I, I like this kind of matchmaking for O'Malley. Like Marlon Vera was not so big of a leap that it like you're right. Had he come out and knocked out Vera like he did Eddie Wineland, you're right. They're throwing him into the deep end of that bantamweight division and there isn't that that rush. Like the guy's twenty five and I think that you do want to exercise some patience before you throw him to the wolves of that division because there's plenty at 135 pounds. So this might be um this might be a blessing in disguise for Sean O'Malley, but if it's not too serious of an injury. Uh, Jarzinho Rosenstruck and Junior Dos Santos, uh, teammates at American Top Team. And uh, boy, did Rosenstruck seem to have worlds of respect for Junior Dos Santos at the beginning of this fight. He was very patient and probably as well coming off that 22nd loss to Francis Ngannou uh, was going to be very respectful of anyone opposite him with power the likes that junior dos santos has um dos santos was attacking him with low leg kicks uh going to the body and then after the first round uh dos santos lands with a right hand and then cracks him with what i thought was his best shot of the of the fight and then rosenstruck proceeds to hit him with this left hook that sets up the right hand that just stuns dos santos and it was a closing sequence we have seen 
too many a time with Junior Dos Santos. He is just, his legs are out from underneath him. He is going down and just gets annihilated with strikes as Rosenstruck stops him. 347 of the second round. This is uh, Dos Santos's third consecutive loss. And his last five losses prior to this fight all had been TKOs. Uh, this is someone that has taken a lot of damage, Phil. And this was the, the latest L to the former heavyweight champion's record. Yeah, it, it was sort of something that was definitely a serious consideration uh, going into this fight. Um, he was looking good early. I mean, his boxing was looking good. He was moving well. He was landing. Uh, he, As you sort of mentioned, he had uh, Rosenstrike sort of frozen in place a little bit. Um, but uh, it doesn't take much uh, for him to land. And, uh, you know, the flurry, you know... Uh, he, so Santos was recovering, uh, and uh, he didn't even take, you know, he didn't get flatlined. I mean, he took some brutal shots, and it was a totally a correct stoppage. But, you know, it it kind of looked worse than it was, I think, and that's good. You know, they were kind of, he recovered really quick. They were hugging right after on the ground. So um, tough to see him take another knockout loss, um, but uh, thankfully it wasn't as bad as uh, it looked, at least to me. Yeah, I mean, individually, I mean, Dos Santos, I thought he won the first round and maybe that's even more difficult. Like he's still competitive with a lot of these heavyweights. It's just when you look at the mileage that this guy has put on and it just seems that it's increasing. And I, I just I do not see a path that this guy will ever make his way back to the uh, title mix at heavyweight. And he's co- sort of going to be in this role against, you know, a lot of big heavyweights that are on the way up and he's is kind of in that gatekeeper role at, at heavyweight. And it's it's a lot of damage he's taken. I think ever since the Cain Velasquez fights, that's been pretty consistent with him. Yeah, I mean, it's true. But we're, you know, this is also a division that features uh, Andre Arlovsky and Alistair Overeem. So, uh, you know, these guys can take a shot, apparently. Maybe some, uh, some opponents in Junior Dos Santos' future to come. Uh, Daniel Pineda. And Herbert Burns. Herbert Burns is the younger brother of Gilbert Burns, and he missed weight by three and a half pounds. So he was fined 20% of his purse uh, on Friday. Uh, And Daniel Pineda, uh, he said after this fight that he had cut uh, 27 pounds in two weeks to make this, uh, to make the weight limit. Um, Pineda came out and he was immediately throwing these huge right hands. He ate this knee that cut him by the left eye. And then Burns, uh, he was able to take Burns down and work from half guard on top, landing these big right hands while fending off the triangle attempts by Burns. And then in the second round, uh, Burns seemed to turn things around and he was controlling Pineda from behind when all of a sudden Pineda escaped and was able to reverse, got a crucifix position and just dropped elbows on Herbert Burns, ending the fight at 437 of the second round. Uh, Pineda was a plus 210 underdog. So another underdog coming through, uh, upsetting Herbert Burns and Daniel Pineda. This was his return to the UFC after uh, six years away. Yeah, pretty impressive return. Um, Burns, uh, you know, missed weight, uh, didn't look in the best shape. And it was kind of the story of this fight. Uh, despite getting that, you know, 
it was clear in the second round that he needed to get the takedown and needed to get uh, his uh, control positions. Um, you know, he wasn't able to, you know, uh, Pineda was able to uh, reverse the position about halfway through. And, and you could tell that Burns just, he just didn't have enough gas in the tank to, f- to win the scramble. And then once he lost that position, it was pretty bad. He got put in a crucifix, mounted crucifix, and uh, he had no answer. So, you know, got to correct that uh, weight-cutting fitness issue. Whatever happened there was uh, a big problem in this fight. Yeah, not not a good couple of uh, days for Herbert Burns. Uh, this fight uh, was supposed to be on the undercard, but then when uh, Iwan Kudalaba tested positive for COVID-19, this one got thrown onto the pay-per-view in that slot. And the pay-per-view opened up with a, uh, Marab Dawalishvili defeating John Dodson by unanimous decision. Um, Dawalishvili just, um, I mean, he controlled every round. There was never a round, I thought, that was in doubt here. And if anything, it just seemed like John Dodson was just so focused on reacting that he just, he could never get anything going in this fight. I mean, he was, he was taken down several times, but instantly popped up and they were just kind of, the biggest attribute that the announcers uh, placed upon Dodson was, man, it's really hard to hold this guy down. Uh, that was his biggest uh, thing going for him here. And, uh, you know, I had this an easy 30-27 for Dewalashvili. And when they were reading the scores, uh, I was just amazed. John Dodson really seemed like he was at the edge of his seat believing maybe, <laughs> maybe I squeaked this out. And I just... God bless the optimism that John Dodson <laughs> displayed here because there was not a person in the world uh, that had John Dodson uh, winning this fight. And I don't know if you'd find too many that could give him a round. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it looked like he landed less than 10 strikes in some of these rounds. I mean, he was he was really just looking for these counter shots. Um, you know, he was clearly the smaller guy uh Marab was much stronger than him was able to secure you know big hoist takedowns never able to secure those positions as you said and the commentators mentioned really impressive that he uh Dodson is able to just get up off the ground off from anybody but really the story was Marab and his pressure and his pace I mean after all these rounds chasing the fastest guy in the division he he was tired ready to go two more um it wasn't the most thrilling performance but it's a very unusual awkward opponent who gives everybody trouble so um a very good showing by Marab and I think uh people are going to really be interested to see him fight uh, a much higher ranked opponent next yeah I mean he's just another guy that is in that monstrous bantamweight division that you can throw out there mm-hmm. yeah not not the most entertaining fight on the card but uh it's someone who has a, a ton of skill incredible conditioning and you know, I, I look at even this, um, you know, this kind of style matchup for a Sean O'Malley. Like, how would that turn out for uh, a Sean O'Malley? Like, these are the kinds of, uh, the kind of depth mm-hmm. that you have at 135 pounds. So, um, we go to the undercard and there were some very good fights, I thought, on the prelims. Uh, Vince from Hell Pichel defeated Jim Miller. Uh, this was looking in the first round. Uh, Jim Miller had a, a really strong round, nearly pulled off a calf slicer at the end. And then Pichel turned things around in the second and third. And it wasn't just winning these rounds. It was also being so confident in taking Jim Miller down uh, to the ground, using his takedowns and applying so much pressure on top. 
uh, lots of elbow strikes, working from half guard. And in the third round, uh, he got him down into side control and just need the body. Uh, it was just like a really strong top game from Vince Pichel. And he won uh, 29-27, 29-28, 29-28 in Jim Miller's 36th UFC fight. Not pro fight, UFC fight. Yeah, an amazing statistic. Uh, the most fights in UFC history, uh, now passing Cowboy Cerrone, I believe, was the second most on that list. And it looks like he's got plenty of fights to come despite the loss. I mean, he looked strong in some positions, uh, but ultimately uh, just not enough for the much, much stronger from hell, uh, Vic uh, Patel. Did I get that right? Um, <laughs> uh, Pichel. From hell, Pichel. Pichel. From hell, Pichel. Yes. Pichel. Yes. And if you want to know what if the looks fin- like... I- he pretty much has hell, uh, the entire geography of it, uh, inked on its back. I mean, it's like there, it's like a short story that's on its back. See the level of detail there? <laughs> I, there, there were some tremendous tattoos all over, uh, the, uh, event today. <laughs> yes. Um, Felice Herrig was back. Her last fight was all the way back at UFC 229, which was headlined by Khabib Nurmagomedov and Connor McGregor. That was so long ago, Phil, that that was a card we watched in person together. That's how long ago it was. Oh, wow. That's right. I, 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 do people still do that? They, they, I guess not. <laughs> they, they don't do things like that anymore. So, um, wow. Time flies. Uh, she, had a, she was out with a knee injury, and her <laughs> welcome back fight was Vina Janjiroba who was a former Invicta strawweight champion. And uh, she made Felice Herrig's comeback um, very quick. She immediately took Herrig down, got the mount, and then took her time before switching to the armbar. Herrig tried to defend it, then realized, nope. And she was out and tapped at a minute 44 of the first round. Uh, I love watching fights like this where someone's grappling is just... Uh, they're able to execute it so dominantly. And that's what, uh, Janji Roba, uh, did here. Uh, this was a good win for her. Like Felice Herrig was actually on quite a run. Uh, and then her last two fights, they were losses to, uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz and Michelle Watterson. But, uh, Janji Roba, that's, this was just like a really solid, pretty much one-sided fight, Phil. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, complete domination. She took her down. She uh, controlled her with uh, just crazy head pressure, used that to pass, just took, just dominated her in the grappling and just took the arm bar. It was a really very, very impressive performance. The level of strength and power she had. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing her again. I, I think she has a lot of potential. I mean, the grappling sure, was yeah. A+. Plus. And, and yes. yeah, she is. Yeah. And, and her loss was, uh, as you said, I think, um, you know, it was somebody very good, right? It was. Um, Carla Sparza. That's right. Yeah. You know, and she lost, the, you know, no shame there, right? Former champion. No. So, uh, you know, she, she, she's got a lot going for her. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing her against a ranked opponent. Yeah. I mean, she was that uh, Sparza was her UFC debut. So she was really thrown to the wolves there. I think that you could expect, you know, at, at 115 pounds, I think that's certainly uh, someone to keep your eyes on. 
Uh, we had TJ Brown, who was another fighter that missed weight and he had to just be at his limit because he missed by half a pound. Uh, and that's, I would say it's harder to give up 20% of your purse when you miss by half a pound than by three and a half pounds. Because I mean, okay, we'll call it a day. There's no way you're losing three and a half pounds, but to have to give up 20% when you are half a pound over, that's going to sting. Especially when you can't get a win bonus either. No, he did not. <laughs> um, Andy was the favorite. Uh, upset here. I wouldn't even call this that an upset. The line wasn't uh, too far in Brown's favor. But uh, Danny Chavez, this guy's been fighting for over a decade. And this was his UFC debut. And he made the most of it. Um, Chavez was very effective uh, with these low calf kicks. And was also very quick. And he just messed up TJ Brown's left leg. I mean, the shin was so swollen. Uh, Chavez won the first two rounds. Uh, TJ Brown in the third had his best of the three rounds. He was able to uh, land with a combination and was delivering knees from the clinch. Uh, so I did give the third round to Brown, but that was it. Danny Chavez wins by unanimous decision, 29-28. And this was a really bad weekend for TJ Brown. Yeah. I mean, I had the score the same way. Chavez looked really good. I mean, he, he looked strong. He had sharp striking. Um, just, just really well-rounded and, uh, seasoned. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him, uh, get in there again and improve. I mean, how, what did they say? It took him 14 years to get to the UFC or something like that? I think if you include his amateur career, it goes 14 and he's been fighting pro since 2010. So, I mean, this guy's had, he's, he's 33. So, I mean, that's not the, uh, not, not, not a young guy either for this weight division. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he showed, like uh, I mentioned, you know, sort of a lot of seasoning on him. So, you know, he's the type of guy who I could imagine if he gets another fight in this year, 2021 could be a really good year for him if he's able to string some wins together. And then uh bottom three fights here. We'll just go over the results and then you can throw in whatever thoughts you had. Uh, Lavinia Souza defeated Ashley Yoder by unanimous decision, 30-27 and a pair of 29-28s. Uh, there were some close rounds in this. Um, I actually had Ashley Yoder winning this fight. Who did you have? I had Ashley Yoder winning this fight as well. I had her winning rounds two and three. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. We had We had an identical scorecard. Has that ever happened? I think we... Yes, it's happened. I just feel like we're already spending too much time talking about this fight. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, that that was it, everyone. Uh, Ashley Yoder probably should have won, but she didn't. Uh, Chris, should she, can, uh, can we Don say she probably should have won? I don't think that's really fair. Maybe she should have won. Uh, if both of us agreed that she won, I think a lot of people thought Ashley Yoder won this fight, but I don't think anyone was so... Conv uh, had that much conviction to argue it either. Uh, and then the fight pass prelims, uh, Chris Dachaus defeated Parker Porter at 428 of the first round. This was uh, featuring some of the tattoo work that Phil was uh, alluding to. <laughs> and we had Kai Kamaka defeating uh, Tony Kelly by unanimous decision. Uh, I actually thought Tony Kelly did enough uh, to win this fight. I gave him the second and third rounds, but uh, the judges disagreed with me. Really? Well, that's interesting. Yep. I did not think that he did enough. I really liked 
uh, the way Kamaka fought. I mean, Kelly flipped the switch in the second round. Something finally happened to him where he's like, okay, I can't, uh, keep backing up and taking these shots. And he started moving forward. But I just, but then, uh, Kamaka started to use the wrestling and he had the better wrestling, it seemed, during the fight. And so I gave him, uh, two and three. Really good debut here. This was a really good fight. It, this was an awesome fight. I thought to, to start things off, if you are going to go to the fight pass prelims, uh, this would be the fight to watch, uh, the heavyweight fight. Uh, all due respect to Chris Dockhouse and Parker Porter. Um, this was, I mean, it was 428. Um, Parker Porter has the distinction of in his third pro fight, he fought John Jones. Wow. Amazing. That was, which I imagine had to have been like, I, I don't know for sure that that was uh, a heavyweight fight, but I cannot imagine Parker Porter fighting at anything but heavyweight. This guy was 264 and a half pounds in this fight. Granted, that fight with John Jones was 12 years ago. It, 12, yeah. And I mean, you certainly wasn't, you know, lean, mean fighting machine, right? So there was a lot of room for improvement, I think. So that was UFC 252. If uh, you want to give us a call, uh, we're going to open up the phone lines now for those that are on the post-wrestling Discord. And if people want to call in, uh, Phil, what, what do they have to do? Why don't you uh, give us the instructions? Yeah, so all you have to do is join us on Discord. And in Discord, both John and myself are currently in the post-voice live calls channel. Sorry, the post-live calls channel. So all you do is join that. And then when you're ready to go on the air, I will unmute you. And I will put you on the air. And we actually have somebody ready uh, to put on the air right now. And that would be John Fury 316. Welcome. What's the bottom line, John Fury? <laughs> uh, just uh... – I love the card. Uh, disappointed. I wanted DC to win just because I don't know when Stipe is going to fight again. It seems to fight like once a year. So, but, uh, you know, I have, I have a, I have a, like a crazy thing I want to say here. What DC okay. said about, you know, he only fights for titles. So I'm going to throw something out there. It's totally crazy. So you can call me crazy, but let's say Stipe, we don't have a December card yet. At least to my knowledge, we don't. So I'm, I'm thinking if, if Stipe is ready by December and you do Stipe and Francis and Francis wins, could then DC fight Francis in like March or April of next year? I, I would only see one potential fight for Cormier and that would be John Jones. I really think that's it. Uh, I, I don't think Stipe would be another fight that they would go back to at this point. And I don't think. I just don't get the sense he would come back for Nganu. I'm I'm not I mean, one I just that think I think that uh, Francis, who's if he wins a title next, he's pretty much beat like every other challenger. You know, Curtis Blades twice. He already fought uh, Lewis, and he already beat the. I'm not going to pronounce the guy's name who who won today. So man, I could see DC coming back because I he didn't say he's officially retired, and this is what got me thinking. I mean, he just said fight for titles, so I'm not counting out DC retiring. But the night, last no, I mean, I he said that is, he literally said, like, if he DC would, won this like, fight, he would have been in the pound for pound top five greatest of all time. And now that he lost, does Stipe go into that top five pound for pound greatest of all time? And I'll just leave with that. Uh, thank you guys very much. Uh, I, I appreciate everything. Uh, see you guys later. Thank so much, you very much, John. That was uh, awesome. Uh, I'll let you answer first. 
absolutely. I think Stipe, like tonight was a defining victory for his legacy that I already thought was in pretty good standing going into this with the number of title defenses that he has had throughout his career uh, from the first title reign and now building upon this, this second reign as champion. Um, when you look at who he's beaten, beating Daniel Cormier twice, um, that's uh, technically something John Jones did not do because the second fight was a no contest. So he's the only person to have beaten Daniel Cormier twice. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, people's memory banks are, you know, view things a little bit differently than that. Um, and they do see it as two losses to John Jones, as Cormier put it, you know, he kind of had these, you know, two, you know, he's, he's been on the losing end of two big trilogies and that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, so, uh, now, in regards to where uh, Stipe lands in the top five, you know, the GOAT list, um, I mean, he's certainly the greatest heavyweight of all time. I think we can put that yes. to bed. Um, yep. and, and then, yeah, we need to start comparing him to the, to the other greats. It, it's always fun, um, you know, tough to do comparing people in different eras. Like, where do you put Hoist Gracie on that list? Um, but he's definitely part of the discussion. And he, of course, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's no doubt. And, you know, he's got a legacy to continue building. Um, you know, he's got a couple years of fighting uh, left in him, I believe. And who knows uh, where he'll be at the end of that. Yeah, I, I, I could see him. You do Nganu and I think maybe Jones. And, and I think like that. That might be it for him, unless he just has this desire to continue going. But I mean, at heavyweight, it's man, you just run into the wrong guy and it's, it's suddenly your time is up. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much more he continues at this, but I see those as like the two really big fights for him at heavyweight. And beyond that, um, maybe, you know, 18 months from now, we're looking at, at Stipe walking away. I really do hope that this is it for Daniel Cormier. I think that this is um unfortunately this is how fight careers tend to end where you know it would have been a really uh Hollywood ending for him to win the title and go off, but I mean this also for the sake of the division moves it forward and that's that's kind of the evolution of the sport is that you know had Cormier won tonight and vacated it, what are we looking at? We're still looking at Stipe and Ganu next. Uh, but they're fighting for this vacant title and they're kind of in the shadow of the outgoing champion and Daniel Cormier. So I think for the sake of the division, this outcome is better for the UFC. I do agree with that as well. And uh, yeah, I'm okay with Daniel Cormier retiring. I mean, mainly because he, he does so much else, uh, so much terrific stuff outside of the cage. I mean, he's a terrific commentator and then, you know, the wrestling, hopefully that can continue soon. As well, uh, we actually do have another person on the line right now. I believe uh, we have Brandon from New Jersey. Brandon, how are you doing? Hello. Hi, Brandon. Oh no. Hey, what's going on? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been I've been waiting I've you been find, waiting a long time to say. Now you, now you find me on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? I'm good. I feel like I feel like we've been talking for a few days. <laughs> Oh man. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I can show, handle man. Brandon multiple think? times in one week. 
Well, I've been I've been waiting for the the moment to talk to him on the phone, so I consider this an honor. Uh, so, uh, uh, Brandon, uh, you know, what's your question? What do you want to say? Oh man, I just missed the. Uh, I, you know, what I miss about the UFC about the crowds in, in at UFC shows, uh, just random B level celebrities like like Willa Ford. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> And people from but you know what we get show, now? Man. We get way more and, and, tweets. Uh, we get more uh, tweets we'll, we'll, from celebrities. Uh, oh, yeah. It was always Fez was always uh, courtside uh, at the shows. I really miss that. Uh, it's a shame. I mean, I mean, we're living in a COVID world and whatnot. And we can't control that. But uh, you know, those are the elements uh, I miss. The hallmarks of Yoshi shows. And uh, you don't, I don't think, think this we'll ever would get it back? You don't think this would have drawn some uh, A-listers out? This was a big heavyweight fight. I mean, but that's the problem. We're not going to get the B, C, D level like celebrities anywhere. We get like The Rock and LeBron and uh, Tom Brady, and when, when he's hawking his uh, his uh, snake oil uh, supplements and whatnot. Brandon's just, upset that the it's gone too mainstream. He <laughs> he likes his his like underground sport, you know, that only him and his few buddies know about. You know what? You know what? Really I missed the salad me. days of of MMA. <laughs> what recognition? What he's wearing his Zubaz pants. It was it was rough in the the fights like the old days. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, I thought it was a good show. Uh, you know, uh, Steep A one and whatnot. I felt bad for O'Malley. Uh, the way he went out, uh, it was unfortunate. But uh, you know, shit happens uh, and whatnot. But uh, uh, what do you think is? Uh, what is his injury? Was it like straight up ankle injury, or was it, is it more than that? Is like an Achilles or something like that? Because uh, I mean, that looked kind of brutal. Uh, sort of hard to tell. He's got to <laughs> be. Uh, I guess he's got to get in the title eliminator, right? Who? Sorry, who do you need to put in a title eliminator? Cheetah Vera. Oh, mm, I don't know. That's a little accelerated, I would say. Um, uh, uh, what I'll do is I'm going to take you off the air and we'll talk about uh, some of that stuff oh, that you brought thank up. You. Thank you I very much, it. Brandon. Thank you. I love you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Brandon. Always happy to hear from you. All right. So, so yeah, what do you think is next for Vera? I think that's a, a good question. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some thought to do a rematch between these two at, at some point. I wouldn't want to go to that right away. Um, he'll, he'll get a quality bantamweight in his next fight. Um, I don't, I don't know how high up the food chain you look at with Brandon Vera, but I, I see mm-hmm. someone kind of in that number 11, 12 range. Marlon Vera. Maybe a top I'm 10 glad, guy. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Brandon Vera, I don't think he could make bantamweight. Um, but, um, uh, I, I agree. I think, you know, a good move for Vera would be to stay busy. Try, there's going to be some big bantamweight fights coming up soon. Try to get on one of those cards. And if there's an injury, Maybe you can get in there against a marquee opponent. Very true. As I was going to mention, uh, did you notice the big mainstream sponsor that they had tonight on the canvas? I I didn't actually. Move move over, Condom Depot. They they hit the big time. They were sponsored by Trojan tonight. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. You know, safety. It's safety is important in today's world. So. I'm glad that the UFC is promoting safety. Um, a few fight announcements that they had. Uh, tonight they announced that 
UFC 253, which will be their next pay-per-view, September 26th. So they've moved it, uh, they've moved it back a week. Uh, we'll feature Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa for the middleweight title. Uh, we also have, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje for October 24th. That's UFC 254. And then UFC 255, both flyweight titles will be defended, uh, as we have Devison Figueredo and Cody Garbrandt and Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya, which, um, poor Jennifer Maya, but we'll see what happens, uh, in that fight. But that's, uh, that's our pay-per-view lineup for the next couple of months. Yeah. I mean, interesting that the UFC, you know, sort of has been announcing these things. I was sort of curious, the announced Holly Holm headlining a card on October 3rd. I mean, I, I'm not really sure the purpose of, of announcing these things two months in advance when you don't have ticket sales and people traveling to make them, especially when things can fall apart. But uh, I'm sure there's some rhyme or reason, but definitely some big fights coming up on the horizon. Adesanya versus Costa, while not a big mainstream fight for MMA fans, it's going to be huge. And maybe people can, you know, word of mouth can generate a lot of buzz. And then of course, Habib will be fighting in the fall. And uh, he's the biggest unretired star in uh, MMA right now. So do you see Adesanya and Costa doing bigger um, uh, pay-per-view wise than tonight's show? I don't think so. Um, Adesanya is very charismatic and uh, a good champion, but he's still a new champion. Um, I- I'm not even sure what his sort of like biggest event was in terms of pay-per-view buys. And usually when you don't hear about the pay-per-view buys, they're not that fantastic. Um but it is a really exciting fight on paper, but so is the Yoel Romero fight. I mean, people were really thrilled about that. Now we're all going to be, not this time. This time it's going to be amazing. Um, but uh, maybe they'll stack it with um, some other fights and it could do well. I mean, Izzy's star is blossoming. So um, at some point, if he can continue to win, I think he can uh, crack through the mainstream. But from a, a, like a fan perspective, MMA fan, it's a barn burner. I can't miss. Uh, so if we look at some recent numbers that we, we did here, uh, UFC 249, that was back in May with Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson. That did over 700,000 on ESPN+. And then last month with the uh, the three title fights, including Usman and Jorge Masvidal, that did 900,000 on just on ESPN+. So if you look at those as like numbers to gauge interest at, where do you kind of see tonight's show landing? I would say that if this does 500,000, that's a success. Hmm. Cause when this was first announced and looking at those numbers, like I thought this one was going to be up there, but I'm kind of with you that this week, I never felt it hit that big, uh, that big feel, um, that I thought this was going to like, it still felt like, um, like a, a fight that a lot of people were focused on, but it didn't feel like one of those massive cards and i'm kind of with you i'm not expecting them to hit um any of those figures that they hit over the, mm-hmm. uh, the those that's two still shows a good especially. number that that's oh, a very good, number. good yeah. number yeah so it's um but uh yeah just i mean they didn't put a lot of star power on this card right sean o'malley is not um you know as much as we were talking about his star power he's not somebody that people have paid for on pay-per-view before they were giving him a showcase spot that you know they were hoping would work out. It didn't. Um, but it was all built around the heavyweight f- 
fight. And look, there's some other factors we talked about last time. The NBA playoffs is pretty much happening right now. The NHL playoffs mm-hmm. are happening. Um, you know, people spent money on that pay-per-view last month. You know, people can't buy a pay-per-view every single month. Um, and, and, you know, Americans who are, you know, getting financial assistance from the government, that's been compromised since the last event. So, uh, lots of factors, um, play a part in, in the buys. Um, so, but definitely not, uh, anywhere near those, uh, previous, oh, certainly not last month's event. It, maybe it's close to the Ferguson Gaethje fight. I mean, Cormier is a bigger star than both of those guys. I, I think that Gaethje and Ferguson, I think it also benefited from the fact it was back when, you know, people were really starved and there was a lot of attention on the UFC just to be able to pull that card off, that there was some uh, novelty with it as well. In addition to it being a really big fight that they had uh, as well, that, yeah, I don't know if this one's going to hit that. If it did, that'd be a big success. But uh, I'm very curious how that Adesanya fight does, because I do feel that's going to be a heavily promoted one by UFC. And it's really going to, you know, tell them where, where Adesanya is as a star, uh, which is going to be uh, over a month away. So, Bill, it's going to be a while till we talk again, September 26th. Well, that part's, oh, is it, is that how long it's going to be until we talk again, John? Okay. Nice to know. Is that, is, well, I mean, you're, you're going to call, you you're going to write. <laughs> I don't call. I don't write. My goodness, John, John. I mean, the record, there's, I believe there's a post wrestling archivist who can, who can go line by line and figure out the commitments that people have made on air. I, I just have to keep up with you by listening to your award-winning podcast, which uh, this week I was really impressed. You were able to land noted, uh, you know, noted. Uh, what would be the best way to describe him? Like one of the great minds of our generation, <laughs> Doctor. Am I correct, Doctor Sanjay Jaram? That's right, uh, Sanjay Jaram, uh, Doctor. Uh, somebody who we both know how, personally. How did you score such a such a huge guest? Well, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's, it, it, it's funny. Yeah. It's hard to book guests, right? The people commit no. and then they, they, they don't, you know, they don't follow through. So yeah, it was challenging. Uh, it, he was just an anomaly. He decided to say yes and he honored his commitment. So, uh, that was really great. Um, yeah. Dr. Sanjay Jaram, he's a professor of political science at Simon Fraser University. And, uh, if you're Canadian, uh, you may be interested to know that next week will be the voting ends in the conservative leadership race. And historically, we've only had prime ministers from the conservative party and the liberal party. So they could be choosing the next prime minister of Canada. And so Sanjay breaks down all the candidates, the process, the issues for simple minds like myself. So, uh, if you're interested in Canadian politics, uh, then check it out. Uh, do check out the show. It is the Fishball Fish Pod- Podcast. You always got to plug the title there, Phil. I'm tr- I'm trying to help you here. I, I'm you are a pro, John, and and I try to learn from the best. Uh, I, I'm I just want all all the world to put their eyes onto Phil Chair Talk and his burgeoning empire that he uh, includes us in. He's so kind. Uh, so that's gonna wrap up. Our UFC 252 post show. I want to thank everyone that was uh, hanging out in the Discord tonight, uh, that called in tonight, or just uh, hung out watching the live stream on YouTube. But my biggest thanks go to Phil Chair Talk, the man who steers the ship and 
gets us from point A to point B. Phil, we could not do the show without you. Thank you very much, Sean. And, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody who's tuning in. We had a bunch of people in, uh, Discord, a bunch of people watching us live, uh, as, as kind of it is, as kind as it is for you to say, uh, that you can't do it without me. The reality is we can't do it without the viewers. And so thank you to all of them. Tune in next time. Leave us some feedback. Click that like button. Click that subscribe button. Now who's the pro, John? Now who's showing you how it's done? That's a wrap. Good night.